that, that's fine. That's coach talk and that's player talk and, you know, one game at a time, focus on Essex. That's fine. You and I don't have to focus on Essex. We can look ahead to Salem because that's where they're going to be. They're going to, well, again, they're going to steamroll Essex. Essex better get used to losing here in the next few days because it's going to happen. And it's going to happen big time. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Yak Sports Podcast. I'm Joe Deck. Leland McRae with me as usual. And Leland, we got to watch Riverheads unleash an holy beatdown all over Essex. Uh, much as I predicted, they came a long way to get destroyed, and that thing was over in the first quarter. 56-15, to 15, the final. Uh, Essex, I guess the good news for Essex, they were moving the ball there on their opening drive. They turned it over. And one play later, it was over after a 90-yard touchdown run. Yeah, I mean, Riverhead's just made that statement run with the with the 90-yard touchdown. It just kind of said, hey, offensively, you guys better keep up. And um, Essex didn't. They just didn't really have a chance to do that. Uh, Riverhead's just came out firing 21-0 in the first quarter, and you could just kind of know Riverhead's could cruise from there. Now there was moments where Essex had some success, not enough to make you think the game was in question, but it was just more success than you've seen Riverheads give up in these playoffs. Um, they were able to move the ball. Uh, you know, the pass did well for them. That Riverheads really shut the run game down well, but they were able to get stuff with the pass. But it seemed like they were always just in front, and, and Riverheads would give up that seven-yard pass knowing that they have a good shot at, you know, getting a tackle for a loss on the next play. So the yards mounted up throughout the day. But it, it just never was in a way where it was a question that Essex was going to go win this game or they were on a comeback run or or the tides were turning. It's just they got two straight stops and then Riverheads, you know, scored uh, first coming out of halftime and just took off from there. Yeah, you know, I I have jokingly told you after the 90 yard touchdown run off air, that's ball game. Um, and but when it was ball game and when I did feel, OK, this thing is absolutely over at this point was Essex finally gets a stop. It's 14 nothing. They have the ball. Yeah. And on a bubble screen, it goes off the receiver's hands and ends up pick six. And it was 21 nothing then. And that was right before the end of the first quarter. And I and I was just like, okay, that's it. And I loved what Coach Casto said about that. You know, they they got that stop right before that on a Cox run where mm-hmm. uh, Coach thought, you know, he didn't run in the right spot. Or he didn't, you know, not thought. If Coach Casto says you ran in the wrong spot, you ran in the wrong spot. So he was getting on him about that. Well, then immediately here comes Cy Cox on, the, on that defensive series, getting a pick six, taking it to the house, and totally redeeming himself. You know, it was it was awesome moment for that kid who went on to be our player of the game in our mm-hmm. coverage, uh, deservingly so. I mean, he... he yeah, he didn't have the Russian touchdowns, but he, he ran for 100 yards and had two uh, interceptions, one of them going back to the house. I mean, that's that's a good day. And, and you, you talk about that kid being player of the game when Zach Smiley ran for multiple touchdowns and over 120 yards, somewhere in that range. Like and that. then and Brayson Fulton had the big touchdown catch mm-hmm. uh, before the end of the half and um, and then also another rushing touchdown. So like the, the big guys came to play, but then still Cy Cox, who has just been that – I'm not going to say role player. He's been more than a role player, but he does his job on the field week in, week out, whatever coach asks him. And whether he's getting a bunch of carries or whether he's getting few carries, he's he's getting the blocks. He's he's making the plays on defense. And and it's good to see, you know, a, a good example of what Riverheads is. It's everybody coming together as a, as a team to get a win. And I think Cox showed a great example of that last week. Well, and we can talk about this more next week after – most likely they are state champions. Um, <laughs> but write it down, huh? 
Um, well, I said at the beginning of the year, I don't know why I would change now. I haven't seen anything to change my mind. Um, but you and I talk about this quite a bit on what makes Riverheads just better than everybody else. And I think you talking about Psycox, and then you're like, well, he's not a role player. In my mind, everyone on this team is a role player. Everyone That's has true. a job. That's a good point. Everyone yeah. has a job, and they do their job better than anyone else on the other team's doing their job. And so when you have 11 guys doing their job better than the other guys doing their job, it's really hard to beat. Um, Zach Smiley gets, he can be the workhorse. That's his role. Um, and Psycox is, you know, another guy to go to. And they went to him more. I felt like this week against Essex than, than they have in the past few games. Uh, but he, he rose to the occasion and he played great defensively. Brayson Fulton, when, when his role was called on offense, he made a huge catch and then stiff armed the defender and, you know, stepped over him to get into the end zone right before the half expires to make that a 28 to eight ball game, which by the way, and, and the one moment, I guess, Essex could have said after the 21, nothing falling behind, they got a touchdown and a two point conversion on, you know, a wildcat that I kept calling the Trojan horse. Um, but I looked at you even after that score and I was like, and I looked at, I was like, my problem with that is that formation is only going to work when you're about five yards out. Like they were, it's not going to work in the middle of the field. And, and it didn't, and they couldn't go to it again. And so, but it, and the only other they were just outmatched. Was, yeah, the only was, other score was when the second second stringers. stringers. Yeah, they were just outmatched. They just weren't good enough. Like like I said, Monday or Tuesday when we recorded last week, they were coming a long way. I know their fans felt confident, said they were better. They're not that much better. And sorry, uh, I, Riverheads is better. Riverheads I mean, they, is better. They are clearly better. And than I, I don't last know. Year. I don't know if Galax is going to hang with them. I think Galax is going to maybe provide a problem they haven't had to deal with, and a quarterback that's super effective and accurate but i just think riverheads is going to put too much pressure on that kid and if he's got pressure in his face i'm not sure that's something he's seen a whole lot of this year and i, I don't know if galax yeah, is I going mean, to be able to hang with him i mean that's the thing matt to, to the previous point matt hatfield came on our podcast what four or five weeks ago mm-hmm. talked about the playoffs and and he laid out we talked about highland springs and who is now out of it and he and he talked about how you know that team was built on stars and Alta Vista had Juan Thornhill and they're built on stars. But here's Riverheads winning three state cha- state championships, maybe going to their fourth, and they just have, like you said, a bunch of role players, a bunch of guys that do their job. And sure, Zach Smiley has some big time stats, but it's still just all these guys working together and going that way. And then what Matt Hatfield said at that time, they're probably the the team that had the best chance against Riverheads is Galax. All right, and to know more about Galax, we're going to talk to Craig Worrell. He's of the Galax Gazette, and he's been around for these Riverheads Galax games in the past. But, uh, Craig, we know you know Riverheads from the past. Uh, How's Galax looking this year? Very different from uh, what you guys have have seen the last two times they played. Um, You know, it used to be tailback high. They had, uh, had three kids, three different kids, in three years, rushed for 3,000 yards, um, but they've, they've spread it out the last two years. Um, got a quarterback with 2,300 passing yards. They've got a running back with uh, 2,100 rushing yards, uh, a 1,000-yard receiver, and, uh, and it's, all, it's all RPO. Uh, Coach Dixon calls it a lazy offense because he doesn't have to game plan. Uh, yeah, they they uh, they get out on the field. The quarterback makes the read, makes the call, and uh, he either keeps it, gives it, or has one of uh, four throws to make, and uh, and that's it. 
um, they they seem more dangerous to me uh, than any time that I've seen them. So talk some of the names. I mean, I, I see them in the paper, Cole Pickett and Denver Brown, but talk about some of these guys individually and, and how they're playing in their positions. A Cole Pickett is a, a junior quarterback, good size. He's 6'2", upwards of 190, I guess. Uh, he's He's been in this offense in this offense two years uh so his decision making is getting it's getting better and better uh he'll still meet miss some reads every now and then but he throws a really really good ball he's got good arm strength good touch um he is uh throws at about 56 percent completion rate um 35 tds eight picks and uh right at 2300 passing yards um, number one receiver by far is Zach Johnson, uh, transfer from Fort Chiswell. He has, uh, 41 catches, 21 of them for touchdowns, uh, 1,056 yards. And, uh, and the guy makes just some unbelievable catches, uh, extending, going parallel to the ground, uh, you know, going airborne and, and out fighting the, the coverage for it. Just a really good set of hands. And then uh, the running back, Denver Brown, uh, also a transfer from Fort Chiswell. And uh, he and Johnson both have family in Galax. So it's not like, you know, Galax is cherry-picking talent from local schools. Both these kids have have family in Galax. Uh, but Denver Brown, uh, around 200 rushes, 2,100 yards, averages 10.4 per rush. Uh, the George with region championship game. He had a 98 yard touchdown Had a 90 yard touchdown. And if you look at him, he doesn't look blazing fast. Uh, but the thing is, you know, if you catch him, if he, if he breaks through and he gets downfield, you might catch him, but then you've got to bring him down. And, and he's, uh, he's just a beast to bring down. Um, good, you know, just good power, good speed. Um, and it's just a, a perfect complement in this type, type of offense. Uh, what about Galax's defense? Uh, how are, do you see them measuring up? Uh, again, you're familiar with Riverhead, so you know the kind of offense they run. How do you measure Galax's defense against the run in particular? Well, their, their main focus is to stop the run, um, especially on first one to, uh, you know, they – like a team one-dimensional, and uh, from from what I remember with Riverheads, they start off one-dimensional. So uh, you know, they're, I'm sure they all have to do some some adjusting with with what they normally do. But but they Galax uh, primarily stops the run, and tries to force the pass, and then and then brings a lot of pressure. Um, and they've they've been really really successful with that. They've got uh, good athletes in the second that uh, uh, can take away a lot back there. And they, they're able to put a, a good pressure on the passing quarterback. Uh, they're really good at stopping, uh, you know, the traditional run with the, the tailback. Uh, but, um, you know, like I said, Riverheads is a, is a, a different kind of, of beast here. Uh, you know, you take away the run, 
and they're going to run some more, I'm sure. So the last time you go, Joe. Uh, so, you know, you bring that up and I, I know Patrick Henry has a similar offense. Did that give you a read of what, or I guess a confidence boost in Galax's ability to maybe handle a team like Riverheads or do you not read into that because you think Riverheads and Patrick Henry are still apples and oranges? You know, they, they may run a similar style. Uh, Patrick Henry really didn't have a lot of success offensively. They, they were able to get some passing yards. They never, never could run the ball. Uh, but yeah, the opinion of Riverheads down here is just, they are, they're just above and beyond, uh, anything that, that you might see, you know, down this, down this way. Um, they just, they get more guys at the point of attack. Um, they're, Big, strong, powerful, and um, you know I don't know if the success Galax had this past Saturday uh, is anything to build on for this coming Saturday because it's it's just to me it's two different teams even if they they uh, have a similar personality on offense. Back in 2015, when Galax won the state title over Riverheads in a seven-six defensive battle. That Sperling kid was just the man out there, just seemed to be in on every single tackle, seemed to be following the ball, getting to the ball first, yes. did a great job. If if there's a guy on Galax this year right. that's filling that role, what's his name and uh, what what food can we feed him the, before the game that uh, might you know get his stomach upset to avoid that? <laughs> <laughs> their, their leading tackler and, and leading tackler by a long shot is a little freshman linebacker uh riley joe vault um he's uh he's 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 not big he's not fast he's just got a a good football mind and uh and knows how to get to the football and knows how to you know to to make a tackle um he's the smallest offensive lineman they've got uh by far and he plays you know like i said linebacker on defense um, and is uh, just far and away their their leading tackler. Uh, it has ten or twelve tackles behind the line. I don't know if he has any sacks, um, but a, a good athlete, you know, uh, just just a nose for the football. All right. Well, that tells us a lot on Galax. That lets our listeners know what they're in for this week in Salem. But before you get out of here, we want to ask you a non-football question. When you aren't covering uh, the Maroons or any of those other um, – uh, the Maroon Tide, excuse me, any of those other schools down there, what are you Sorry. watching on TV? What are you maybe uh, binge watching or what are you watching on the network TV that is a good recommendation for the rest of us? <laughs> hey, I'm a sports writer. I don't have time to watch baseball <laughs> or watch ball games. Uh, you know, I – I, uh, I DVR F1 and watch that over the winter, and then I DVR NASCAR uh, and watch that at midnight when I go to bed. Uh, I try to catch as much college football as I can. Other than that, I could live without TV, to be honest. Okay, so I got to ask now, who's your, who's your driver in NASCAR these days? Matt DiBenedetto. Wow. Uh, I'm down here pretty are based 
uh, uh, the Bristol race where where De Benedetto was up front till about the fifth, seventh lap, and uh, I was just really pulling for him. I love his passion. I love his personality. He just seems like a really good guy, and um, I was thrilled to death when uh, the Wood Brothers picked him up because uh, I've always I've always been a Wood Brothers uh, fan. I used to play Legion baseball down in Stewart, and uh, and we could uh, we'd be down there practicing, and you could hear the the Wood Brothers testing the engines, uh, you know, a couple miles away from from the practice field. So uh, so I'm a Matty D guy. I'm uh, I'm Guido Nation for sure. There you go. Yeah. I love yeah, I love it down there in Stewart. That's a beautiful area, and I I love the Wood Brothers too. So you're talking yeah. my language now, Craig. All right. All right, well, we look forward to seeing you down in Salem on Saturday, and thanks for giving us a look in on the Maroon Tide. Thanks for having me, guys. So, yeah, again, thanks to Craig for coming on with us. But, you know, he talks about their dynamic offense there. I think the key for this game is seeing if Riverheads can get pressure on that quarterback and not allow him to be that dynamic guy that's getting the ball out to these receivers. I I think that's the big you know, difference than what we've seen against with Riverheads, Galax in the past. Can Riverheads get pressure on that quarterback like they need to? I think they will. We've seen them do it all year against other quarterbacks, against other teams that pass the ball. They've done it then. I think they will do that again this week. I do too. Um, and we'll see. I mean, they're going to play the game. So it, I hope it's a good one. But I, I, I think the other key you is you can't, fall, you, you can't fall multiple scores behind. Where do you think that, where do you think? You still at 21? I'm still at 21, and that's me being nice. I said 21 to Essex to be nice because their coaches and radio people were up there, um, <laughs> and it got 21 before the end of the first quarter. I don't think All it's right. going to be that, but it's going to be closer to that than it is a one-score game. I think. Okay, I I think I think I think Riverheads wins by multiple scores. I agree with that, and I know uh, probably some Galax people might be tuning into this. I guess put it on the bulletin board. I guess yeah, that's, that's fine. Hang, hang the audio on the bulletin board. That's fine. Uh, Stewart's draft is our second school going to a state championship in Salem. Uh, they did it by beating Thomas Jefferson. I guess actually they were the first team to punch their ticket because they kicked off and finished their game before Riverheads, but they are in. They beat Thomas Jefferson 49 to seven in a game that was close uh, after about the first couple possessions that were traded. And then Stewart's draft ran away. Stewart's draft was just the better team. You and I felt they were the better team going into this. Uh, we talked about Stewart's Draft's dominating defense. The offense played a very good game as well for Stewart's Draft, and that helped them. And uh, they just crushed the Vikings, and now Stewart's Draft going to their first state championship uh, in school history, which is awesome. But they're going to be playing Appomattox, and that's a big test. I mean, still looking back, though, I, I just all week was seeing stuff on Thomas Jefferson, and I, and I know they were athletic. They had some size, but honestly, I compare what I've seen Riverheads do in these, in these runs. You know, in the last 20 years, they get these teams that – are athletic, are big, and with how good Stuart Straff's defense is, really are. They really are good. I, I know we talk about them losing to Riverheads. It's meaningless for them. They can go win a state title yeah. with that still happening. But I just I've seen these teams roll into Augusta County and and get sent packing because the defense is so good. It doesn't matter. You know, you can you can collect the speed. You can keep the speed turned in to where your other guys can get to it. Is if you just 
you know, get to the outside right. And that's what Stewart Strap does really well. We've seen them do that against teams all season. And so I think I just didn't scare me against Thomas Jefferson. We will talk about Appomattox in a minute, but it's just anything I saw on Thomas Jefferson, the stats, the write-ups, a little bit of video that was out there. I just didn't see anything that was going to get around Stewart Strap. I just, when you looked at their schedule, you didn't see anything that really leaped out as an impressive win either. And we talked about that. Stewart Strap does have impressive wins. Stewart Strap has been tested. They played a really tough schedule. Uh, and to me, but I, I think Stewart Strap, you know, when, you, when you've played teams like Riverheads and you've played teams like East Rock and Clark County and Luray uh, and Strasburg, yeah, uh, you've been way more tested than Thomas Jefferson ever dreamed of being tested in their schedule. Their schedule was not nearly as tough as Stewart's drafts, and that showed on the field because as much as pomp and circumstances Thomas Jefferson was bringing in there, uh, they they were no match for Stewart's draft because that defense has played better offenses. Their their offense had played better defenses. Uh, Stewart's draft is a team that neutralized a Division One quarterback in Strasburg's Chase Hart. So w- when I saw what they did to him. I was not worried whether it was the original QB one for Thomas Jefferson or the QB two, because I've seen them take both of those kinds of quarterbacks away at different points in this season. So I think Stuart Straff has a great chance to win a state championship this weekend. Yep. And I'm, I'm looking forward to watching them. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how Stuart Straff as things have gotten tighter here down the stretch, you know, have committed more to the run game than they probably did earlier in the year, though that that commitment to the passing game earlier in the year is only going to help them be oh, yeah. multidimensional in this game, but they are kind of, being a little more conservative, running the ball, you know, their quarterbacks, whoever they put in at quarterback is if it's wildcat or if it's cook, they're running in for touchdowns. I mean, they're using that in the red zone area, not a lot. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how Stuart straps attacks this team. Cause I think they have, you know, a multifaceted offense to throw at Appomattox. And I think, um, I think Appomattox sees good teams, but honestly, they lost to heritage. They lost to Buckingham and, and Buckingham's a team that lost earlier than Stuart draft, obviously. Um, you know, I, I know Appomattox has grown, but I think this is going to be one of the more dynamic offenses they've seen in the last few weeks. I think Graham was a little straightforward. I think these other teams uh, from down that way, a little more straightforward. I think Stewart Straff's going to bring the full load here and they're pretty dangerous, which whatever they do, if they're throwing over the top, we know they're dangerous. If they're just running the ball with Aaron nice, they're very dangerous. And if their quarterback has decisions to make they're good at running and they're as we already said good at throwing so I, I think they will have a good approach to throw at Appomattox here yeah and you know I, I think one of the reasons you've seen them rely on the run especially here later is just because th- that's what they feel most confident in not that Henry Cook isn't capable of slinging the ball out there but you know I don't, I don't know I don't know coach Floyd's philosophy on this but you know it goes back to you know the old Woody Hayes quote there are three things that happen when you throw a pass and two of them are bad. So um, maybe he feels <laughs> better. Used to say that too. <laughs> maybe he feels better about running the ball for that reason. And uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, but Leland, we need to talk about Stuart Straff's opponent in this class two game. And to talk more about the Appomattox Raiders, we have Ben Cates from the news advance on with us and Ben uh, Appomattox, a team very familiar with state championships. Tell us a little bit more about the 2019 Appomattox Raiders. <laughs> Yeah, you know it's uh, it's it's interesting covering teams uh, when you've been doing this for a while. Each each one kind of has their own identity, um, and this team has kind of come together a little bit later than some of the other um, state championship teams that Appomattox has had. Um, 2015 was uh, just an incredible year for them offensively and defensively, and it carried over into 
um, 16 and 17 with a lot of the same players. This group is a little bit different because they're, um, they have been younger. It's taken them more time uh, to really find out who they are. Um, it's taken them time to learn how to win, um, but they're playing well at the right time. Um, and I think this, the streak is up to like 11 games in a row now that they've won. Um, so it's really been a team um, that has um, just kind of found its identity suddenly um, and was able to do that despite the fact that a lot of people weren't sure that they were going to. So you talked about the team being young. It, it seems like that kind of starts at quarterback with the young sophomore quarterback leading the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Trey Lawing um, has been a guy that people around Appomattox have had their eyes on since he was about in, in, in about seventh grade. Um, they kind of knew that he um, was a guy who was going to have a good arm, um, was going to have uh, an even better running ability. Um, and he has, he has, it's, 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 he's been a work in progress. Um, but Trey has really gotten uh, his, his game down um, to where I think he wants it to be right for right now. Anyway, um, sky is the limit for the kid um, because he's about six foot six one um, and just in really good shape. So we'll see how he does in the future, but right now he's, he's doing enough to get this team um, to where it needs to be. All right, and then talk about the rest of the offensive attack. I, mean, I know they have some good running backs. I see that Skuggs guy on the roster. That, that's a familiar last name. They're talking about those guys. Yeah, um, so I guess I should, I should mention, um, first of all, that um, um, Lawing, I think, comes in with, um, with somewhere around maybe 2,500 um, all-purpose yards, mm-hmm. I think, this year. Um, Running back Christian Ferguson is is their main guy. He's a he's a five ten, uh, maybe maybe one one eighty five, one ninety guy, um, who's got over sixteen hundred rushing yards this year. He's really been their main um, their main running back in uh, in the split split back veer um, offense. Um, he is kind of the guy who who takes a lot of hits, uh, keeps going, and and is averaging about eight eight to nomadics. Yeah, we saw him play when they played against Robert E. Lee a couple of years ago. I know he was one of their best players then. So yeah, so yeah. brother brother carrying the torch, huh? Yeah, yeah. He's um, he hasn't been um, the the kind of go to guy that um, that Javon has been, but he's al- he's also a guy who's accepted his role um, as more of a role player and has done a really really good job with that. You need those kind of guys, I guess. So I want to ask you about the game last week and how Appomattox got here. They beat Graham, who was the defending state champion in class two. Uh, and just talk about what you saw there from Appomattox and how you feel they're going to measure up against Stewart's draft and Stewart's draft's defense, who has been really, really good. Well, I wasn't at that game. Um, I was at, um, at Heritage. Heritage Lynchburg uh, played Lord Botetot, and I was at that game. Um, but just kind of kept up with it um, and then was asking one of our reporters about it as well, off and on throughout the night. Um, and it seemed like Appomattox just kind of um, was just overwhelming in a game um, that had kind of a state championship feel to it. I mean, you've got you've got those two teams that have won combined to win the past four uh, state titles in class two. Um, so um, it, it kind of makes me think that. Um, that Appomattox, even if they, uh, they even if they don't win this game uh, this weekend, will be just fine in 
and I say that meaning that I, th I believe they'll hold their, will hold their own. Um, just just after, just the Graham um, game makes me feel that way. All right. So when you are looking at what this team has done in comparison with those those three other state championship years, um, does this team to this point before this game, do you put them in the area of those three teams? One of those three teams, are they the best of, of this run or, or where do you kind of rank them when you're looking at them from a, from a media side of things? Yeah, so I think um, I, th I, I don't compare them to the first team. The first, and, and I say that because um, the 2015 team, I think, held opponents to um, something like, um, for the whole season, uh, something like nine points per game, um, and maybe maybe even eight. It was somewhere in that in that um, in that area. And every year, um, those points kind of um, kind of crept up a little bit, um, and so. I would say that this team is more um, more like the 2017 team um, that kind of um, you know gave up gave up its fair share of points, was still obviously good enough to um, to to get to where they were, um, but they weren't as dynamic defensively as as that 15 team. I kind of see this team being the same way. Um, they're they're going to give up anywhere from you know 15 to 24 points somewhere in that area. Um, but they still defensively swarm to the ball, um, still impressive in that, um, in that era area. And, um, I think that comes from their defensive coordinator that's been there for, I think five years now, Stephen Costello, um, has been really just brought in a new era of defense to Appomattox, um, that has, that has really defined a lot of, a lot of what they do. Gotcha. All right. Well, we look forward to covering this game. I know you do as well. And uh, uh, we look forward to seeing in Salem. But here on the podcast, we get everybody out of here with a, with a question of, you know, other than uh, what you do for your day job or what you do covering sports, uh, talk, give us one show that we should be uh, either binge watching or, or catching up on that you're watching lately that you really like. Oh, my gosh. Um, I like uh, I like Watchmen. Uh, right what? now is 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 something that uh, that has been good for me, um, but that being said, I don't binge watch a, a terrible amount of television <laughs> uh, because uh, usually when I when I do get home, I'm I'm pretty exhausted, um, and so but but that's one thing that I that I have that I've watched a lot of. Um, I really like Better Call Saul as well, um, which I think nice. has tre tremendous dialogue. Um, and I think it's coming back for for its new season early in the in the year. So I'm looking forward to that one. Awesome. Well, good recommendations. Thanks for filling us in on the Raiders, and uh, hopefully we see you down there at Salem. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I think the big interesting thing there that Ben Kate said is talking about this young quarterback who who can get make a lot happen for him. But I just think back to a couple of weeks ago with Strasburg's quarterback, who they really leaned on, and what Stewart Straft was able to do to him and on pushing him out of the pocket and making him uncomfortable and, and make him not a, able to throw downfield and, and do what he's used to doing with his arm. And then when they did flush him out of the pocket, yeah, he was running, but running for no gain or running for two yards. And so I think Stewart Straft will be able to do a similar approach to this young quarterback. And I, I have a little more faith that Stewart Straft will have 
turnovers in their favor because of doing that uh, with a sophomore quarterback compared to the senior quarterback that's about to go play D1 football. I think this kid with the lights on in Salem will take a chance that he maybe shouldn't make or, or have that ball handing out a little bit more than he should. And I just think Stewart's draft defensively is still going to have a really good opportunity here to keep Appomattox from just lighting up a scoreboard. Yeah, no, I, I said it uh, before we brought Ben there. In and I, I still feel the same way about it. I think Stewart Straff has a great chance to win the Class Two Championship this year. I mean, how cool would that be? I mean, Augusta County, if 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 it all goes our way, we both we think our local teams are going to win, and and call us homers, that's fine. But like, how cool would that be to you know two schools that are what ten miles apart, seven miles apart, something like that, uh, to bring home two state championships? I mean, just that would just say so much for Augusta County, the Shenandoah district and, and the level of play that we get to see each and every week, just covering these games, e- even with these other teams that have been pretty decent lately. Um, you know, we just see good football every week. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, let's get over to college football. Uh, let's lead with what matters most to us. And that's these bowl games, Virginia tech go into the belt bowl. They're going to play Kentucky. Uh, an interesting matchup, another quarterback that's that's pretty useful there. Uh, they're going to lean on him at Kentucky. And uh, the last time out, we didn't we didn't stop their a quarterback that was the best player on the field very well. So I th- think it's time uh, Bud Foster can can right the wrongs of two weeks ago uh, here in three weeks in this bowl game against Kentucky. Well, good news. He won't have two of his position coaches to do it with. So I'm sure that won't come back to bite us. <laughs> jumping, jumping straight to that, huh? Yeah, I'm really pumped about that news. Um <laughs> Look, I still think Virginia Tech should win this game. If we don't beat Kentucky, I think that has bigger problems for Virginia Tech. Um, but Kentucky's uh, that's, not good. That's we exactly need to beat. How I feel. We need to beat them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think beating them is just like okay, that's good. I don't think this is going to be some kind of big momentum build or something. I don't think w- what UVA had last year in the Belk Bowl, where they got that win against South Carolina, and, and they really were able to build with that. I don't think we have that emotion to build off this game but i think a loss in this game can be pretty negative going in the off season and especially, especially with the news that broke this today yeah especially with losing these position coaches and 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 as much as we like bud foster we like bud foster kind of picking his replacement it seems like here once once fuente's boy wasn't available you know i it is i i want to win this game so we have that positive to build on and that we can kind of accept the rest a little bit better we got Wiles leaving. We got um, we got a bunch of position coaches, running backs coach leaving. We got defensive our defensive coach. line and our defensive backs coaches all leaving. Brian Mitchell was the other one leaving. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a lot to lose on a staff that we kind of gave a lot of credit after the bottom of the pit of what losing to Duke was. We gave credit to these coaches, coaches staff that hey they they did keep it positive they they kept the team they didn't lose the team they got it going they got wins they got us a position to potentially win the coastal now it seems like half those guys are leaving and it, it is tough news oh, the and the one you want to get rid of coaching the bowl game yeah the one you want to get rid of and Cornelson's still there and he's it seems <laughs> like he's gonna stay because him and Fuente are our best buds so I don't know what's going on it becomes a real question of if if Wiles is pushed out because it's a Fuente power move um, is Wiles leaving because he's mad about being passed up? I don't know. Look, I'd lean I, that way more okay. than a power move. Because if it's a power move, why would he hire Hamilton? It. Well, because um, he likes Hamilton. Because because maybe he doesn't want Wiles there. Wiles has been there longer. 
than Hamilton. Wiles is one of two holdouts from the Beamer era, not including Bud Foster. And by the way, both of them are now gone. So I mean, Hamilton's a Beamer guy. Beamer, he played for Beamer. He was on the team. But like, he wasn't I, on I the Beamer coaching staff. He's not on the Beamer coaching staff is why he's not a Beamer guy. He's a player. He wasn't on the coaching staff when Beamer was here. But he's so a he's not guy. a Beamer he coach. Beamer. He was recruited by Beamer. Heck, he might have been recruited by Wiles. Yeah, <laughs> just like a third of our starters. I don't know. I, I, I think you're contradicting yourself in the same breath here. I think, no, I'm I mean, not. Hamilton no, I'm not. Much... Because I'm talking about a coach that coached under with Frank Beamer. That's what I and mean I'm when I say a Beamer a guy. That played under Frank Beamer. Oh, that doesn't mean anything. Who gives a Frank flying Beamer. dump truck about that? That's not the same thing at all. How is it not playing the same and thing? coaching with Hamilton somebody not is not the same guy. thing. Playing and coaching is not the same thing because he was still coaching at VMI or when he was coming up the coaching ranks. He did. If I, I don't see how this is, I really don't understand how this is different. Uh, it's completely different. Uh, one of these guys has been under Beamer. So he knows how the program ran under a different coach. Hamilton does not know how this program ran. And uh, in, in terms yes, of he coaching, he played in it. No, in terms of coaching, in terms of coaching, he doesn't know how the program ran. He was not in the he was not in the coaching. Oh yeah, okay. I'm sure they invite players in the time all the time. Hey, you want to come into this coaches meeting so we can talk about it? Yeah, come on into the coaches meeting. Uh, Everybody come in. It's the same thing as playing, playing and coaching. And then he he coached literally the same thing. Foster, who was there and understands, and nothing's changed for thirty years. Like yes, I I, whatever. Move on. I just I don't know how you're separating these two things, but that's fine. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm just, my final point is three coaches under Frank Beamer were still on the staff. Now zero of them are after this year. That's my point. This seems like a Fuente power move to get all of the coaches under the Frank Beamer, Frank Beamer era out to me. And this feels like a house of cards. If Netflix wants to reboot house of cards, they can just make it a documentary and film it in Blacksburg. And this thing's going to come crashing down. I would be not so surprised. Negative. I would not be surprised to see some players leave again. Charles Wiles, or Charlie Wiles accounts for a third of Virginia Tech starters. Um, that coming from Travis Wells to WDBJ, and uh, I, I just I don't point. feel I don't feel good about this. Uh, the Hamilton hire was I was kind of shrugging my shoulders. I was like, okay, um, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but uh, you know I've talked to other people about it, and I I do feel this. No defensive coordinator that is worth anything was going to come to this program unless they were in-house already because they look at that Justin Fuente and went, huh, this guy was a quarterback change not happening away from being fired. So he's I mean, not really stable. I guy was coming if he didn't get hired at Memphis. That's a Fuente guy, and I don't think he's going to be that good. Well, that's not an in-house guy. So I Yeah, but I'm saying, oh, no, but it goes to my other point of I don't think he's that good. I don't think Charlie Odom's good. Okay. Well, he's not our coach, so you don't have to worry about that. We don't have to listen to that complaint for the next three years. That'll be good. No, he'll go to Memphis, and he'll do whatever at Memphis. But I don't think he's necessarily a good football coach. All right, let's talk about UVA's bowl game. They play Florida, and, I mean, that's put up or shut up kind of um, moment there for UVA. You're going to the Orange Bowl. You're going to play in one of the big six bowl games there. You're playing Florida, a a full team. And uh, UVA, we saw how Clemson game went. That was tough. But Clemson, you know, they could win these next two games and win, be the national champion. So you might not be looking at the same. But Florida, you know, UVA, you're taking your steps and you have this this tough game against Clemson. You have a tough matchup with Florida. And then you start the season next year with a tough game. Show us what you got. 
you know, you, you talk about how now you're, you know, everybody did all, not everybody, but a lot of UVA fans on Twitter talk about how tech can't beat them. They ignore the last 15 years and one game, all of a sudden tech can't beat them. Well, now go go play some big boys because Tech has been in those big games and haven't fared that well. Here's your chance to to kind of show you are better than Tech. Go win some of these big games or continue to shut up. This is going to be a lot like the Clemson game for UVA, which, by the way, as ugly as that game was, it must be great to get your butt handed to you on national television like they did and only drop one spot in the rankings. I still don't know how that works. Uh, it seems like the playoff committee wanted to make the Orange Bowl's decision for them. Um, and that's why UVA stayed in the top 25, so they could go to the Orange Bowl. I, I do think Orange Bowl is taking them either way, though. Do you? Because UVA didn't sell any tickets to that ACC championship game, and bowl bowl committees care about that. Yeah, I I just I just had that feeling. It First just, it ACC just championship game in school history, and they couldn't even sell out their allotment. I mean, you are playing the team that is the closest to Charlotte uh, in that game. So, I mean, those people probably bought up those tickets weeks ago. Yeah, they didn't, UVA, UVA gets an allotment. Were... UVA gets an allotment. They didn't sell them out. They didn't sell out their allotment? No. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know that. Jeez. How did they not sell their allotment? They didn't have that many fans go to the game. Period. That's why I'm saying I don't think the Orange Bowl committee is too plussed by that. Now, they might have picked them anyway, and that's fair. That's a fair statement. But what I'm saying is, uh, UVA fans, you better buy tickets to this because if you don't and you don't show up, you guys, if if a bowl has a single choice, you will not get picked for any bowl that means anything because they will look at that and they will go, huh, your fans don't really travel well. We can't make money off you. Goodbye. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, that's crazy. Let's talk about the playoff because those are the big games coming up. Uh, LSU got up to that one seed, deservedly so. They should have been sitting at the one seed for a while now. Yeah. Uh, their resume is far better than Ohio State's. Their team is far better than Ohio State's. They're going to blow Oklahoma off the face of the earth, and then they're going to play Ohio State or Clemson. I think they'll play Clemson, and I think they'll win that game. I don't know if they blow Clemson out, but I think they beat Clemson. I think LSU's really, really good. I, I watched them play Georgia. And Joe Burrow is amazing. Uh, their defense isn't, you know, the best defense to ever step on the field, but they're pretty good. And they're a tough team to beat. And no one's done it yet. So I think you're fine saying that now. Like, I, it's hard to argue what you're saying right there. We just haven't seen Clemson in a measuring stick game. We haven't seen how they measure up. And we've seen it plenty of times out of Clemson. And that's why we're sure they're good. LSU. I think Clemson is, could be pretty good. And I think after this Ohio State game, we, we could be a little bit closer into thinking how good Clemson is with LSU. But uh, I, like, I like the matchups. I like the picks. I'm glad we don't have SEC, ACC in this first round of the playoffs. Let them earn it. Um, because we've seen a lot of SEC, ACC, I mean, really Clemson, Bama. Um, these last few years, I'd, I'd rather just let, let them both win it to earn it. But I like the matchups. I like the storylines. I, I'm not against Oklahoma being in it. And I don't think anybody is. I don't think anybody's making that argument. I, think I don't they know got who else you would right put in four teams. Yeah. And, um, you know, the one thing I'll take this argument and we've argued this before I'm, I've said, I'm fine with an 18 playoff. I would not have a problem with an 18 playoff. I don't like the 16 that you propose, but I think you're only if you got the 18 playoff here, you'd only really care about that four or five game. I think that would be about the only one. I think all the rest would be blowouts. I just 
that's how I'm looking at it this year. I think it was kind of easier this year just to have these four teams because it just feels right. It seems right. It seems like really only three of these four teams really have the shot to win a national championship. And this isn't a year where you could make an argument for six or seven. I don't know. I don't know if they'd be blots. I'd want to see who the seven is. Uh, I didn't look that far down the rankings um, and see who Ohio State would have to play. Um, I'm really glad we don't have 16. Okay, well, we're not going to get into that. Again, <laughs> Again, you know what? That's fine. Don't, if you're never going to have a 16-team playoff and include all the conference champions, then just go ahead and stop pretending that they're equal and just go ahead and separate yourself. Have have your own division, I'm, and then let the, other, let the other conferences, when they say they want to have their own playoff, let them do it then, instead of complaining and saying, oh, it's going to wreck our perfect bowl system that has so much integrity. Yeah, I, I, I'm fine with any of that. I, I'm not going to argue any of that. I, I'm waiting for the top 30 programs to break away from the NCAA. Um, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I like this four teams. I think it's simple. And uh, I'm it's going to, to eight in like three years. I think it's 2023 for some reason is the year that rings in my bell, rings a bell for me that I think is when the contract negotiation Sounds is right. up. But Sounds right. they're going to go to eight. Still doing then. then we'll argue about it then. Uh, but uh, looking at the schedule this year, though, isn't it like two and a half weeks before that? Like they're not playing the um, championship game until like the 13th and they play these semifinals like on the 30th or something like it just seems like there's an extra weekend this year and it would just lay well for the 18 playoff this year, though. Uh, they do say they would do the 18 do the first game before like a Christmas break and then still kind of have the same schedule. But I, I think. I'm fine with the four this year. I don't think there's a big call for the eight teams this year, and I like that. I, I don't like just having a big problem with the system every year. Okay, I disagree. But moving on to college basketball, uh, Virginia Tech lost to Duke this week. They were good in the first half. They were up by 12, uh, and then they just fell apart. We're just not as good as Duke, and that's what it came down to. Uh, I still like Virginia Tech's fight. I still I didn't leave this game thinking we're not a tournament team. For sure. I wish we, I wish we could have gotten Duke without them having lost to Stephen F. Austin or whoever they had. I wish we could have had a, a, a undefeated Duke or whatever whatever they were mm-hmm. going into that game uh, because they were woke up. They got woke up. I wish we could have surprised them and taken that 12-point lead and, and rested on that. But I think Coach K bit into him because he's a good coach. But I think we have a good coach, too. And so I'm looking forward to the future, and I, I don't think that game changed that. Yeah. UVA got destroyed by Purdue earlier last week, and then they came back on it. Sunday. Came back on Sunday, beat UNC in a game that was really just set basketball back 20 years. It, it was so bad. Mike Barber, who loves him some UVA, was even <laughs> tweeting about how that, <laughs> how bad this game was uh, for basketball. Yeah, I, don't, I just didn't expect UNC to have such a bad offense. I knew UVA did. We could see it in those games against the uh, easier teams earlier this season. I just didn't know UNC was this bad offensively. They gotta, they're going to have to get it going down there because um, they'll get run out of the gym by Duke because Duke's playing pretty decent team basketball. Louisville. And if UNC can't score, Duke will just take it to them. Louisville's pretty good right now, too, but uh, we'll too. see. I don't know if I trust Louisville. We'll see Louisville. what Coach Matt can do there. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if I trust Louisville. Uh, speaking of we'll see what coaches can do. Uh, Lewis Rowe, the job so dirty, even Mike Rowe wouldn't do it. Coaching JMU men's basketball. They got steamrolled by Radford conference plays coming up. And, uh, we were, a, a, we're allegedly the fourth best team in the CAA. So, uh, we'll see. I don't know. We can prove that wrong pretty quick. Uh, jumping, staying on JMU, but jumping back to the other sport, uh, they won their playoff game. They played oh, this yeah, Friday in a playoff count. game. And, uh, man, they have, 
graduation at JMU Friday night. I know Jeff Wright knows this. Mm-hmm. And they just scheduled their football game, home football game, right up against it. And then they'll complain that no fans were there. I mean, they have so well, many people involved in campus that are probably season ticket holders that probably are required to be at that graduation. So it's just it's weird to me. I know ESPN just comes in and says, you're going to play this time. But, man, you think they'd say, well, we have kind of a major campus event happening. E- okay, so you they put it on the grad school graduation, which is smaller than the undergrad graduation, which will be Saturday. So that's why they did that. Oh. Is the grad school in the winter smaller than the undergrad during the winter? Mm-hmm. I thought it was all on Friday. No. I think they moved that. All right. Well, that's fine. This is me not knowing how JMU campus work, but still. Yeah, no, they had exams. They had exams Saturday. Everyone was complaining about the lack of attendance. Um, They have exams on Saturday. (laughs) Real good move. Uh, And then also, I talk about this all the time. My choice was was to watch Oklahoma Baylor (laughs) or JMU Monmouth. I'm going to pick Oklahoma Baylor. And I went to and I, JMU. Um, and I don't think Jarvis Vaughn is playing for the football team, too, at Monmouth. So, yeah, and we, I, no, no interest. It's the <laughs> second round. If JMU's in a dogfight in the second round of the NCAA playoffs, I don't want to be there to see it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. There's been many times where I've been in a situation like, yeah, if if we win, I don't really care. And if we lose, I definitely don't want to be there. So, yeah, that, that that's come up before. Uh, NFL, I, I mean, my Steelers won. They're just going to have a, a low playoff spot. They're going to sneak in there, and then they'll get – because they're, they're not a contender. They're not as good as the Ravens. I'm, I, I'm acknowledging that. Um, I just like seeing the Patriots lose. That's, that's helpful for me. Yeah. I have you guys – I did the NFL playoff machine on ESPN.com. I have you guys as the five seed. I have you guys 11-5. and five. I have you guys beating us in week 17 because we won't have anything to play for. We'll already have home field advantage locked up by then. Is that at the Ravens? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we'll be resting some players, and I think the Steelers will be able to get that win, be 11-5. and five. I have you guys playing Houston in the first round, and who knows? Houston's yeah, not great. Who knows? Yeah. Houston's not great. Um, but, yeah, the Ravens, they got a win against the Bills on the road. We weren't – we didn't look great, but a win's a win, especially on the road. Buffalo's a pretty good team this year. Yeah, they're not bad. And uh, for the other local team, the Washington Redskins, they hung around with the Green Bay Packers. They just couldn't get in the end zone, and it eventually cost them. And that's one of those losses you, you're not embarrassed for. I mean, Packers are a decent enough team. You know, they're a, they're a playoff caliber team. Um, it's just all these other losses this kids have, the Skins have mounted up. And, I mean, Haskins just doesn't look good. He's young. He's not surrounded by a lot of talent. And um, I think their problems there are front office related more than anything. Yeah, it'd be nice if they could clean that up. All right, let's get out of here. Let's get to the D block. All right, Leland, let's get into the D block here. Uh, What is dominating your life? Uh, I've talked about it before. Mrs. Maisel's back on uh, Amazon Prime. Third season's on there, and it opens up just kind of amazingly you can you can tell the budget is uh, secure there for that show they had all kinds of people in the opening scene for the new season um and the show seems to be right at the same level that it was before i know you're not going to watch it because it isn't a superhero show as as you thought it might be um but i think other listeners should be listening to it it's a good show it's funny it's it's for the adults in the room uh there's language and adult themes but it's good and it's not too heavy and it's definitely 
positive and 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 light enough. I mean, there's still real, um, you know, real life stuff happens, but it's still there's a lot enough lightness and everything that you can deal with the, the drama of it, but still be laughing in and out of it. So uh, I always recommend that show whenever I can. Um, and that's what we, we we caught into two episodes now, and uh, we're looking forward to watching the rest. Yeah, I might give it a look. See, I just got to finish Jack Ryan first on Amazon. We started it. We fell asleep. Both of us fell asleep in the first episode. I'm not sure if that's a bad on that show or we were just really tired, but we we didn't come back to it immediately. So yeah, um, I, yeah, and I know that's a running joke, but since we might have a lot of new listeners, um, it not being a superhero show is more likely to get me to watch it. I <laughs> do not care for Marvel, which I when it was Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I thought that was some Marvel spinoff. What is dominating my life is baseball off season. Uh, a lot of big moves already happening, and being an Orioles fan, I'm starting to get worried. Um, we're not going to be good next year anyway, which is how I'm trying to rationalize this. But when we gave up Jonathan Villar for, in my opinion, not a lot from the Miami Marlins, I got worried. The Dylan Bundy trades, whatever. Uh, I don't think he is ever going to work here. I'm not sure he's going to work, period. We got some... We got some pieces from the Angels that are exciting. We got uh, Zach Peake, who former Strasburg Express pitcher in the Valley League, so that was kind of cool. Um, but I got to be honest, um, I'm starting to worry that this team isn't going to be an actual Major League Baseball team next year. And I kind of wanted us to maybe be a little bit better next year than we were this year, and I just don't see that happening, which may be a problem. But... Um, I won't touch on the other note I had because it looks like you've got that. So uh, yeah. I'll move on to the next thing. It's not something, I guess, that really fits the I know that you need to know, but it's something that I watched again because last week was Jimmy V week. Uh, yeah. While I was watching the Duke-Virginia Tech basketball game, they had this thing on at halftime where they showed excerpts of Jimmy V's speech, and then they showed uh, – Dickie V and Coach K reading a note that they had written uh, together about Jim Valvano. And uh, it was really touching. It was really hard to watch that. Uh, You know, I teared up watching it. It, It's really touching. And again, you know, that that speech is really, really uh, a great speech by Jim Valvano. And it's awesome. And it's, you know, they raise money for a really important cause. Cancer is something that affects everyone uh, in this country, sadly. Uh, and it's something that hopefully someday we'll have a grip on and find a way to cure it. But until then, uh, speeches like that are going to get to me every single time. I, I know it's affected my family cancer, and it's hard not to think about, you know, the people I've lost due to cancer when when I hear that speech. And it's hard just to see what he meant to... Dick Vitale and Mike Krzyzewski uh, and see Dick Vitale not even be able to get through that note without choking up a little bit. Uh, That was hard. I always think it's, um, I mean, it's cool. It's cool to hear it. It's a bad way to phrase it because it's, it's sad that coach Valvano died soon after making that speech. Um, You know, it was coach K and coach uh, Dickie V carrying him up on stage Mm -hmm. to deliver that speech. And so um, it is always really, um, I think it's important 
to to revisit that. And I think there's two times a year ESPN does their uh, at baseball uh, All Star Game. They do their big day during the summer where they dedicate ESPN Radio all day to raising money for the Jimmy V Fund, and then they do it again in this week of the uh, basketball season and for Jimmy V Week. And so I think it's I think it's important to. To listen to that speech, sit down, take the minute, listen to it. You see it pop up on your computer, you see it on your Twitter feed, or you're watching the game. And they show it at halftime. Sit there and watch it because everything he says in that speech is important, and and it's from a guy that is at the time being reminded of what's important and wishing he had more time to to have with that important stuff. But he still had that fight. He still had that will. And uh, I think the speeches that have come off. Uh, of Coach Valvano, uh, the Stuart Scott speech and uh, the Lisa Roberts speech. Those were both great speeches too, and they they played on different sides of the of the uh, Coach V uh, speech there. Because um, like Stuart Scott, you know, Coach Valvano's never give up, never give up. But like Stuart Scott said, never give up. But like when you need help, use the help and and let people fight for you and everything. And like so, I, I think ESPN's done a great job surrounding that terrible sickness that that does affect people in our family or us or i mean right now i have the, my maid of honor for my wedding has just battled breast cancer and seems to have gotten through it which is just spectacular and then my most immediate co-worker at work who's doing the same job as me just on a different project he, he's fighting uh, prostate cancer so it's just like it's right in my lap right now so it's it is always a good reminder uh, to to understand that fight and what those people need, the motivation that those people need, uh, but what you can do for them as well. All right, in a transition that doesn't work, we're going to talk to go back to baseball. Uh, Strasburg's re-signed with the Nats. That's good news for the Nats that they keep that pitcher, but just four days ago, the GM said they can keep Strasburg or Rendon, and so it looks like they've made their decision. There's a lot of deferred money apparently in this contract, which gives the Nats hope that they can re-sign Rendon. I'm not sure they will be able to. And if I had to pick one, I would have picked Rendon. I, I think that was yeah. the bigger priority. I realize how good Strasburg has been, but he's 31 by the time this contract is, or he's going to be 31. By the time this contract is over, he'll be 37. I don't know. That's that's really running a pitcher deep. You're paying him over $30 million a year. I think it's actually... Uh, 32 million a year or something in the neighborhood. Um, but I, I just feel like a guy who throws it that hard, he's already had some injury history. It's you're just really rolling the dice on big pitcher contracts. And I, if I have to have a big contract, I just feel more comfortable with an everyday player who was a really great bat for you and Anthony Rendon. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I will give him the fact that Strasburg is a face of that franchise. Um, he's been there his entire career. Yeah. Um, the fan, the fan support for him, even though he's not the most inviting guy, uh, you know, he's still a nat, and and then he'll stay a nat, and uh, it looks like he'll retire a nat with this kind of contract. So I think that's good in a sense. Um, it would be nice if they could somehow find a way to keep Rendon, but maybe they know they're losing Rendon anyway. So you you just move on from yeah, there. So that's possible. I, you can. You can mark the tape here. I, I just think the Nats got their World Series, and they finally hit that pinnacle. I just don't see them repeating. I just don't see it coming back. And maybe maybe this is an opener to one of our shows 11 months from now when the Nats are repeating. But I just don't, I just don't see how it's possible right now with, with the amount of holes that they're going to have to fill. Yeah, it's hard to repeat in baseball anyway. I mean, it's it been is. a while since someone's done it, so. Yeah. Uh, the other news that slid in today, and I, and I know this uh, will be – 
out there more so by the time this podcast hits. But uh, Leah Calhoun from Buffalo Gap, she got injured or Achilles uh, at Mary Baldwin. And uh, so we're all thinking about her, hoping she can get back as soon as she can. I know that's a hard injury to come back from. But we've seen Leah Calhoun come back from injury before in her career and uh, in high school. So hopefully she's able to do that. But just uh, thinking about her at this time uh, and hopefully she can get back. And um, so that's what we got here. But we are going to get out of here for this week. We'll be back next week to wrap up these state championships and put a bow on the football season. Hopefully we're talking about two state championships in Augusta County because that would be cool. Follow us on Twitter at YakSportsPod or on Facebook at YakSportsPod or email us at YakSportsPod at gmail.com. You can find us on Podbean, Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you guys are finding podcasts, you should be able to find us. And always feel free to interact with us. And if you are new to the show this week and you want to argue why Galax or Appomattox is just going to wipe the floor with our local teams, we welcome it. We want to have interaction with you online. We will talk back with you. We will have our thoughts and opinions, and we welcome sports debate because it's nice debate about stuff that just doesn't really matter in the real world of things with all the important stuff going on. So we are glad you listened this week. We hope you come back next week. This has been the Yak Sports Podcast, your Augusta County Sports Podcast. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County Sports Podcast.